Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I wanted to talk today about the elephant in the room, which is are bookings slow everywhere? Or is it your fault? Is there something wrong with your listing? Is there something that you're not doing to optimize your place? I am getting countless DMs. This is the number one thing that's flooding my inbox right now is my bookings are down ever since the Airbnb update. What is going on? Please help. Please send help. What's going on? Okay, so let's get into it. I want to base this episode around what I am seeing in my own personal listings. Obviously, I am not going to be able to tell you what is going on in your market. You're going to have to do a little bit of research and dig deep for your specific area. Or if you want to book a one-on-one call, we can do that together. But this episode is really going to be me showing you what I'm noticing And even though this is going to be specific to my market, I think that you will be able to take a lot away from this episode and apply it to your own personal market and where your property is located. So first things first, if you are noticing that bookings are slow ever since the Airbnb updates, I want you to look around and ask yourself, do some research here, try to figure out if this is something that is particular to your listing Or are bookings just down in your area? Because a lot of people are messaging me and saying that bookings all of a sudden seem like they're really slow since the Airbnb update. You know what else happened when the Airbnb update happened? At around the exact same time is when gas prices, I mean, they've been steadily going up, but that is when I've seen a huge jump since then. I feel like inflation, yes, it's been steadily increasing, but that is really when I noticed that inflation kind of took off. Right in line with gas prices, of course, those things are going to happen together. When prices go up, travel is going to be down. That's inevitable. And so a lot of people I'm seeing are attributing issues and slow bookings to the Airbnb updates. And please don't take this as me just like blindly defending Airbnb or something. I'm sure that that has something to do with it. But look at the bigger scope of things. If travel is just down in your area in general... That has nothing to do with Airbnb, right? Maybe Airbnb can be affecting your listing personally. So we're going to talk about that. But as a general rule of thumb, if travel is just down in your area, that's not an Airbnb issue. There's something deeper. There's a bigger cause. People are less likely to travel. They're nervous about a recession coming, or maybe we're already in a recession. I don't know the official definition of when a recession starts, but either way, people are nervous. And one of the first things to go in times of panic is going to be traveling for leisure. So a lot of these slowdowns in bookings are probably attributed to something way bigger that individually we don't have control over. 
One way to find out in your market is whether or not travel is just down in general or if it's just your specific unit. When you're in your area, and I know some of you don't live nearby, ask ask your cleaner or ask local people how travel has been. Ask your cleaner if they clean for other properties how much other business they're getting and try to figure out if you're the only one that's had a slowdown in bookings. If they tell you that they are losing work all around, that will tell you that it's not just you. Travel is just down in your area. I know for me, we've definitely noticed a slowdown and I was definitely panicking that, oh my gosh, what's happening? We're being hidden in the algorithm. We're being hidden in search results. People aren't finding our listings. Well, a couple weeks ago, my dad was up in Big Bear where our listings are and he said he has never seen the village. The village is like the downtown area of where we're located. That's where all the restaurants are, all the retail, everything that you want to do in town is in the village. My dad said a couple weeks ago when he went, which this is normally our peak season for us, he said a couple weeks ago when he went, he has never seen the village so slow. So clearly there's something going on. And I've seen a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's because there's an oversaturation of listings. More and more people have been buying up properties to turn into Airbnbs. Clearly that's not it either. Because let's say that, um, I don't know, I'm just going to spitball some numbers. Let's say that on average... On a peak weekend in Big Bear, the village has 1,000 visitors in it. Well, when Big Bear used to have 1,000 Airbnbs, then yeah, every single listing would get booked. Now that Big Bear has 2,500 Airbnbs, if the average peak weekend is getting 1,000 visitors, then yeah, 1,500 listings aren't going to get booked. And again, I'm just throwing these numbers off the cuff, okay? And obviously, if you were to dive into this deeper... This these figures are not accurate because in each listing, you probably have more than one person booking, but just for the sake of this, okay? If you're sitting there panicking and thinking, oh, there's an oversaturation of listings in my area, that's why I'm not getting booked. In this example that we're going with, if there's a thousand people on an average weekend in the village and we used to have a thousand listings and now we have 2,500, then yeah, 1,500 listings are not going to be booked now because there is an oversaturation of listings. But when my dad is there and he said, it looks like there's only 500 renters, 500 people in the village at all, not a thousand, which is what we would typically expect to see. Then you know that there's some bigger issue. It doesn't have to do with the oversaturation of listings because there's just less people. So keep in mind that there, there's a difference here between things that might be affecting your listing personally versus what's just happening in your market. So if you're not able to go to your market in person and go to the restaurants and go to the store in town and just see what's going on and see if it feels less busy, ask your local contacts, call your handyman up, call up other hosts that you're friends with. Hopefully you're on an Airbnb hosting Facebook group and you can ask on there if everyone is noticing a decline in their area. That will already tell you that there's something bigger at play. So if you've been really stressing about whether there's something you can be doing more, maybe that will help you just relax a little bit. And I know that times are stressful if bookings are down and this is your sole way of making money. But hopefully, at least if you can see that there's something at play with the market, you can stop calling Airbnb and asking them if they're shadow banning your listing or something because you know that there's something bigger at play. 
Now, let's say that you do find that, hey, travel is actually okay in my area. It hasn't been impacted. A lot of people on the Facebook group I'm in are saying that they're still booking things just fine. And I do think that there's something wrong with my listing. How do I get more views and eyeballs and bookings on it? So let's talk about that. Like I said, I'm going to give you examples from my own listings today. And I know that I am just one market, but I think that that's actually going to help make these examples have even more weight behind them. So I want to go through the eight listings that I manage because all of them are identical. Two bed, two bath places, same number of square footage in the same condo complex. They have the same parking lot, the same pool and jacuzzi. They have the same lakefront location. They're hosted by the same host, me. They have the same cleaning team. So it's very easy to compare about amongst my eight listings, about four of them are still booking really well right now, and the other four are not. So I want to break down the difference that I'm noticing between the half that are doing really well and the half that are suffering right now. And that's why even though I am just one market and you know, it might depend on where you're located. Some of the stuff I'm going to tell you, you might have to tweak for your area. But I do think that this is a good example I'm going to give you because you can actually, there's so many controlled factors here. If you were trying to compare, if you have two properties, for example, one in the Phoenix market and one in Austin, it's very hard to compare those two properties side by side. I can actually do that for you. So I want to show you that with all factors being equal, what I'm noticing are the differences of why four are booking pretty well and consistently right now still, and why four are suffering. So I have boiled it down to five differences between the properties that are still doing okay right now and the properties that aren't doing as well. And I want to make something clear, even amongst the four properties that are doing well right now, they are still doing worse than we usually do. So give yourself some grace right now, really, if you've noticed that nightly rates are lower than you expected or you're not booking as often. Even with my four that are my still top performing units, compared to this time last year, this time last year, we were 100% occupied, 100% occupancy on all these listings. Right now, I only have four that are about... 85 to 90% occupied, and the other four, maybe 50%, if that. So definitely put that in perspective that things have changed for sure. Again, even of my top performing listings, still what I would normally expect to be 100% occupied, I'm at about 85-90% occupied this time of year, and I've had to lower my nightly rate compared to this time last year. So Money is slower for sure. Bookings are slower, all of that. But obviously, we're doing something right with these four properties that's not happening with the other four. And even though nightly rates are lower than I'd expect, and we're still not able to reach that 100% occupancy right now. So let's get into the five different things that I'm doing on those four listings that are not present on the other four. For one, you guys, I am going to be just beating a dead horse with this, but if any of you follow me on Instagram and have listened to the podcast before, you know how important I always say professional pictures are. You need professional pictures. Drill that into your brain. If you don't have them, go today. When we finish this episode, go call a professional photographer and book a session. Truly, there is no excuse not to have them. You are in the hospitality industry, and I want you to think to yourself, have you ever 
ever booked a hotel that did not have professional photography for the hotel rooms? Have you ever booked a hotel that took iPhone photos? Why do Airbnb hosts think that they can get away with iPhone pictures? Unless you yourself are a professional photographer, go hire a professional, please. This is something that I have been preaching the benefits of for a long time, but right now I am seeing it more clearly than ever. A few of the owners that I work with do not want to invest in professional photos. They keep saying that they think they don't need it, that it's fine, that people can still see all of the amenities laid out. The photos still, the iPhone photos are still capturing everything. And the other four listings all have professional photos. And I know that even though we're going to go over four other differences between my listings that are contributing to why these four are doing better than the other four, I know professional photography is the biggest difference. I can tell you that for certain because in the group that has professional photos, Two of those listings, in my opinion, are actually a lot less attractive and worse, more poorly designed, have fewer amenities than two of the ones that don't have professional photos. And yet the ones with professional pictures are still booking more. It's just one of those things that guests, they might not know why. They might not be able to articulate why they are more likely to book one listing over the other. To the naked eye and somebody who doesn't have experience with professional photography and regular iPhone pictures, they might not be able to know and put their finger on what that difference is, but subconsciously, you can tell when a listing looks professional, when it looks like that host has their shit together, when it looks like they took the time and effort into giving their best foot forward and putting on really, really nice, clear, crisp, sharp images with great natural lighting, highlighting everything that the home has to offer. Most professional photographers are going to charge you somewhere between $200 to $800, and every dollar you spend on that is worth it. You will make it back. I promise you, you will make it back and more. You have to do it. You just have to do it. And I I am just so... <laughs> I get so much pushback on this point, and I don't know why. You guys, please just listen to me, okay? On this one, I'm going to give you other tips today that you can either take or leave. I will show you the other four differences I'm doing amongst listings. The other four, you can take or leave them. This one is non-negotiable. Go get your professional photos. And one tip I really want to advise you here is when you're hiring a photographer for this, do not use a real estate photographer. Uh, In my opinion, real estate photographers... Really what they're there to do is just to take pictures of the place for an MLS listing. They're selling just the property itself, the specs of the home. You want somebody who can make it look like a vacation. You want somebody who can take more lifestyle, stylistic photos, who can really capture you know, not just the angles of the room, but a close-up detailed shot of your welcome basket and the coffee you have to offer and the nice high-quality bedding that you have. Of You want somebody who can capture, you know, the cotton balls and Q-tips that you staged in the bathroom and can get those little details that make people genuinely excited to come. I personally recommend actually using a wedding photographer or a lifestyle photographer if you can find one. 
just if you do end up using a real estate photographer, make sure that you communicate with them that you do need some up close detailed shots. You don't just want them to stand in each of the four corners of a room and shoot with a wide angle lens. You have to get more of those stylistic artistic photos. Now, the next thing that I'm noticing between the four listings that are doing much better right now is that I have changed four of the listings to be pet friendly. And I already know for a lot of you, this is not going to work. So again, like I said, with a lot of the tips today, you can take it or leave it and make it work for you. But this is one, I know people have allergies and some of you just based on where your property is located, you're not going to be able to be pet friendly. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. I'm still going to give you some other tips you can incorporate, but the four listings that I have changed to pet friendly are totally outperforming the other four. If you listened back to the episode where I actually interviewed my sister, she did a lot of research on the data of what guests are looking for in Airbnbs, and she actually ended up throwing out the entire data set of pet-friendly Airbnbs because they were so rare that she didn't have enough of a sample size in order to properly conduct research on it. So the entire data set of pet-friendly Airbnbs, she threw out. That's how rare they are. But before throwing out that data set in her research, she found that pet-friendly listings are the most searched for thing on the platform right now. The number one thing that guests are filtering their search by is pet-friendly. So that right there shows you if it's that high in demand that it's the number one thing guests are searching for, but it was so hard to find these listings that she ended up throwing away that super small data set. That tells you right there, if you can be pet friendly, absolutely do it. Don't question if it's worth it. It's worth it. They may destroy some furniture. Okay. You may have a little bit of extra cleaning charge a pet fee to overcompensate for that. If your cleaner says that they need to make $30 extra per cleaning after a pet, put in a $40 or $50 pet fee so that you have a little bit of reserves going if furniture gets destroyed. But no matter what, you will get more bookings because of being pet friendly. You absolutely will. And again, I know some of you have allergies. Some of you just, it's it's not going to work for you. In that case, fine. Don't let me tell you how to host your property. You have to do what works for you. But if any of you have been sitting on the fence with this one, do it. Be pet friendly. Switch over to it. And again, you may have some issues here or there. It's worth it in every single sense. You will make more money. You'll get more bookings. You'll probably be able to increase your nightly rate because you're going to be in such high demand amongst the people who are looking for places with pets. Ever since we switched to putting four of our Airbnbs as pet friendly, those four listings have just skyrocketed in bookings. Like I said, I've got four listings right now that are doing about 85 to 90% occupancy, and the other four are barely breaking 50%. And pet friendly is the difference right there. Half of the owners that I work with just don't want to accept pets, and they know what they're missing out on. I personally am not willing to miss out on that potential money just because of the fear that a pet could damage something. I'd rather just have a pet fee and build up a little bit of reserves. And if something gets damaged, first of all, I can go through air cover to get covered for it. But even if I can't, I have some reserves going from the pet fee that we're charging. So if you've been sitting on the fence with this one, now is the time. If your bookings have slowed and you're wondering what you can do, go pet friendly. 
Now, the next big thing that you should change, and I only have one owner right now who doesn't want to turn this on, but Instant Book. If you have requests to book on, please switch it over to Instant Book. I have talked on a previous episode about how I actually believe Instant Book is even better for the security and safety of your home because you are able to cancel on a guest after the booking is confirmed if you're uncomfortable with the reservation. With request to book, you're not able to do that. Once you accept the reservation, if you find something later on that makes you nervous about hosting them, that's too bad. You accepted the reservation, so Airbnb will not let you cancel it without penalty. So I actually do believe that Instant Book is better for protecting the quality of guests coming to your home. But besides that, I have one listing where that owner just really is not comfortable with Instant Book and they are insisting on staying on request to book. And that is actually my worst performing unit of all of these eight right now. All the other ones are on Instant Book. And even though bookings have slowed, they're still coming in. On this one, this one owner has had two rentals in the past few months, two reservations, one over Memorial Day and one over 4th of July. And that's it. And I attribute that to Instant Book being off. Airbnb very clearly states that homes with Instant Book get pumped up higher in search rankings. Guests prefer Instant Book. When they find a place that they want to stay in, they just want to be able to book it. They don't want to have to go back and forth and communicate all these plans and be asked extensive questions. It's just what people are used to. If you've ever booked a hotel, you were able to just instantly book the hotel. You didn't have to go back and forth with the hotel receptionist or hotel owner and tell them about why you're coming into town and what your plans are for visiting the area. People don't want to be bogged down with that. So take my advice on this one. Again, I know some of you, I am not going to convince you on this. Some of you just love request to book. And hey, that's why that option is there. But if bookings have slowed and you are desperate to try something new, I can tell you that my one listing that does not have instant book on is my worst performing unit right now. The next thing I want to talk about is lowering nightly rates. And some of you out there, this is probably already the first thing you started doing if you notice that bookings have slowed down, which is good. You do have to be competitive with where the demand is at. And if demand is down in your area, lowering nightly rates is unfortunately one of the best things that you can do to continue getting more bookings. I have a few owners that I work with who have told me we don't want to go below this certain price, and that is okay. I will totally respect that. I will never push an owner to go below a price that they are comfortable with. But to give you an example, I work with some owners who say we don't ever want to go below $150 a night. I am not booking those units, but the other units where I'm going down to $120 a night are consistently getting booked. And yeah, it's a bummer that you do have to lower your nightly rates sometimes, but at the end of the day, I would rather lower my nightly rate by 30 bucks and still get booked and make 120 than not make anything because I'm hanging on to hopefully making 150. Does that make sense? You have to meet people where they're at. And if demand is down and there's a lot more surplus of places that people have to choose from, price is going to be one of those determining factors. So be willing to go lower with the price than maybe you have in previous seasons. My prices right now are significantly lower than I was making this same time last year, but at least we're still booking. 
Of course, you should still have a minimum threshold that you won't go below. There is a point where you'll drop your price low enough to where you're actually losing money. It's just not worth your time to manage that reservation. You're going to lose money on the use of utilities with people staying there. So there is that to be aware of. Also, the lower you do go with price, you do tend to sometimes attract worse quality guests. So it is something you have to kind of tread carefully with, but try lowering your prices a little bit more and just see where that fine line is. I have told myself in the past that I would never go below 120 a night. And recently we started going down to 100 a night and my guests are still good. We're not having any issues. So I'm really glad I was willing to try that out and be willing to go that low on some of the properties. And look, it definitely sucks having to go that low with your prices, especially when this same time last year we were doing 200 a night. And now on some listings, I've gone as low as 100 a night. But at the end of the day, I am just accepting that I do want to be booked on our personal listings. I have owners who won't go that low. And that's that's a conscious choice they're making. For me, I would rather get a $100 booking than nothing. And finally, right in line with lowering prices is consider what your cleaning fee is. That same property that I mentioned earlier, that is my only one listing that doesn't have instant book, that listing also has the highest cleaning fee. I have the same cleaning team for seven of my units and one owner I work with just wasn't happy with that cleaning team. So he went out and found a new cleaner, which is fine. She's great. She does an excellent job. I've been managing her. She's been trained for his specific property and it's a great fit. However, she does charge $45 more than our other cleaners. So even though I will say she does do a better job, there is kind of a point where you might want to be willing to compromise a little bit. I would never compromise in the actual quality of the cleanliness, but what I am willing to compromise on is the cleaner being able to stage things the same way that that I want. And we've talked about this on a previous episode, but things like being really particular about where a certain vase goes every single time after the cleaner stages the home, those are the things that I have learned to just let go. I am not willing to pay $45 more per cleaning. I mean, if you're hosting 100 stays a year, that is $4,500 more. I am not willing to do that for something as frivolous as where a vase gets staged. This one owner I work with, he was very, very particular about how he wanted the home staged each time, which is why he went and found a cleaner that pays more attention to those details. And that's great that he found someone that's working for him with that, but it did mean that the cleaning fee had to get raised on his listing. Of course, that's also going to dissuade people from wanting to book with you. When renters see that we've got eight identical units, all same number of bedrooms and bathrooms, but one of them has a higher cleaning fee, of course, it's going to make them less likely to book that one. So it's just one other thing. I don't ever want you to compromise on the actual cleanliness of the home. It should always be sanitized and a clean place for guests. But if your cleaner is falling short on things like, you know, making sure that towels are folded a certain way or that the soap is always facing in the same direction and those those little details that do make the home a nicer experience I fully acknowledge that but at the end of the day 
It's not something you're going to get a bad review over. It's not something that's going to make a guest not book with you. So if you have to just compromise on those little details in order to keep your cleaning fee affordable, do it. It's just, in my opinion, not worth finding someone that, yeah, you can pay them more and they will spend more time and take care of those little details. But at what cost? If your whole reason for wanting to have the home more perfectly staged is to get more bookings, you're shooting yourself in the foot because there's a certain point where you have to add on so much more to your cleaning fee that you're not going to get those extra bookings anyway. So be aware of what your cleaning fee is. Look at comps in your area. If you're one of the higher cleaning fees in your area, you need to renegotiate with your cleaner or go find someone new who is willing to do it for less. If you've been a little bit upset with your cleaner about these little final staging details, right now I would consider just letting it go. Again, don't compromise on the actual cleanliness itself, but just those extra little things that you ask your cleaner to do right now when bookings are this slow across the board is not the time to go out and be willing to pay somebody so much more and have to pass that fee on to your guests. I think it's just going to end up hurting you more. And at the end of the day, those little staging details are things that you care about as an owner because you know where you want things to go. A guest who is showing up to your place for the first time ever, they don't know the difference of having cups in one cupboard versus cups in another cupboard. You know that because you're familiar with your place and it drives you crazy when things are put back in different cabinets. Your guests don't know. As long as everything they need is there, it doesn't really matter where it is. So if you've been having that frustration with your cleaner and you're considering getting someone who will charge more to do those things, right now, I would say is not the time to go and invest in that. Bookings are slow. Don't add any more costs to your listing at this time. So there you have it. To recap the five differences that I'm noticing between our top four performing units and our worst four performing units, the differences come down to having professional pictures, being pet friendly, willing to go lower on the nightly rates, and specifically with my one listing that is currently my worst performing listing, that is my only listing that doesn't have instant book and it has a higher cleaning fee than all of the others. So if you unfortunately have been one of these hosts that has noticed a decline in your bookings, try incorporating these five different things. Maybe you've already got a couple of these in place. Maybe you've already got a really competitive low cleaning fee and you have professional photos, but you haven't made the jump to being pet friendly or turning on instant book yet. Try those. I don't know where you're at specifically. Maybe you already have all five of these things in place, but there's something you can revisit. Maybe whoever took your professional photos didn't really do the pictures that much justice and it might be worth investing in another round of professional photography to really get it top notch. Maybe you are pet friendly, but you're putting a lot of limits on it. Like you're saying that only under a certain weight limit and only one pet per household. Maybe you'd be willing right now to be a little bit more lenient on that and allow two pets or remove any weight restrictions. I don't know specifically what it's going to take for your individual property. And if you do want to book a one-on-one call with me, we can absolutely dive into this. But I just want to tell you in, in my listing portfolio right now, Amongst eight listings, with all other factors being equal, same size, same layout, same square footage, same number of people that we allow to book, everything else being equal, these are the five differences that I'm noticing in the places that are still getting booked and the ones that aren't as much. So be willing to adapt. 
It's a hard time for everyone right now. I do think that travel is just slower in general, but do some research on your area and see if your area is still getting the same number of tourism and it's just your listing that's declining in bookings, there are some adjustments that you need to make. If travel is down completely in your area, give yourself a little bit of grace that it's not just you, everyone's feeling it. I still do think that incorporating these tips will help you, but ultimately we are kind of, we're all kind of suffering right now. It sucks to say, but I think that's just where we're at. So hang in there. And if you do end up making any of the changes that I talked about today and they work out for you, please let me know. I would really love to hear what you incorporated and how quickly you started to notice a change after, if it was right away or if it took some time. I'm always learning just like you guys are, so any feedback you can give me on these tips or anything else you've been doing to overcome slower bookings, I would love to hear from you. For this week's Airbnb quick tip, I'm going to suggest to you, if you haven't done it yet, go do this today, literally today when you are done listening to this episode, or pause this and go do it right now, go add captions to your listing photos. And when I talk about captions, I don't just mean on a picture of the living room, say living room, on a picture of the kitchen, say kitchen. Go in and add, this is the key, you want to add captions that are filled with keywords. So what are the amenities that you have listed in your place? Put those in the captions. So if we're looking at a picture of the master bedroom in your listing, don't just put master bedroom underneath. Write out the actual features of the master bedroom. The caption should look something like this. Master bedroom with ensuite bathroom. King-sized bed with memory foam mattress. 400 thread count sheets with smart TV and access to Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon video, reading lamps on each side, luggage rack in closet, hangers and bathrobes available. Boom. How much better is that than just master bedroom? Not only do you want to put the captions here just to paint a better picture of what's available to your guests, because to tell you the truth, A lot of your guests, I will tell you right now, are not even going to read the captions on the photos. That's not why we're doing this. The reason to write your captions this way is because you are further reinforcing the amenities that you have. You're writing the captions with strong keywords so that when somebody is searching for king-size mattress, your listing is way more likely to come up. Even if you already had king mattress checked off as one of the amenities, putting those keywords again in the actual caption photos or in the description, anywhere you can really, is just going to help further reinforce that your listing is the ideal one for these certain amenities. So if you decide you're going to go pet friendly after today's episode, when you have a picture of the living room, instead of just saying living room, say something like living room with no carpet makes it an ideal pet friendly listing. There you go, (laughs) right? So just Find ways to rewrite these captions or write them for the first time if you don't have any right now, but find ways to incorporate as many keywords and amenities as you can into the caption photos. Go do it today. This should only take you 15 minutes at the most to just go and write new captions for all your photos. You already have the photos there. Why not make the most out of those images and make them work for you by having keyword rich captions? And again, these photos should be professional quality. 
I'm not going to say it again because I am just beating a dead horse with this point, but go get your professional photos. For this week's question of the week, I wanted to answer the question, what should I title my Airbnb listing? When you're sitting there and you're starting to put your whole listing together and you get to the section that says come up with a title, I know for a lot of people, this is a very stressful section. So let me help you. We're going to break this down and make it foolproof. How to come up with a perfect listing title. Here's the formula to follow. Okay. For one, I personally am not a fan of the cute branded name as your Airbnb listing title. For example, if you have a social media account and you're promoting your place on Instagram, maybe you have a direct booking website, maybe you have a cute branded name that you have branded onto mugs or something and it's printed in your house manual, good for you. I love that. More power to you. Let's just say that you have the name The Boho Abode, okay? I don't know. Probably, honestly, one of you has that name because I feel like I've seen some combination of those words in like a million listings. But let's say that the name of your place is The Boho Abode. Do not put that as your Airbnb listing title. People who are just randomly scrolling, that tells them nothing about the listing. Nothing. It doesn't tell them how many bedrooms you have, how many bathrooms, what your amenities are nothing. It's cute. It's charming, but it doesn't communicate any information to the guests who actually need to know details about the home before they reserve it. Use names like that. Plaster it all over your social media, all over your TikTok, your Instagram, whatever. If you have a direct booking website, name it that. And you can put that for sure printed on your welcome basket in your home. Even when somebody confirms their booking, you could say, hi, thanks so much for booking the Boho Abode. We're so excited to welcome you. You can totally brand that name everywhere else, but the listing title itself on Airbnb should serve to actually provide information to your guests. Another thing that I avoid doing in listing titles is I don't mention the location. Don't ever put anything that says Joshua Tree to bed place. You don't need to put Joshua Tree because if people are searching Joshua Tree, they already know that the listings showing up are in J Tree. You don't have to put that. Don't use up valuable real estate space and limited numbers of characters telling obvious things that people are already going to know. A caveat to that would be saying how close you might be to a specific attraction within a location. So if your place is in Chicago, I wouldn't just say Chicago Airbnb, but you could say five-minute walk from Wrigley Field. You only have so many characters that you can use in a listing title, so use them wisely. The cutesy names and the obvious things like location that people are already going to see, don't bother putting that in there. Instead, use that space to communicate facts about the home, especially facts that are going to appeal to your ideal client. So if you are really trying to market to people who can work from home and stay for longer stays, Putting something about what your Wi-Fi speed is and saying you have reliable Wi-Fi in the listing title is a great idea. If you are trying to cater to bachelorette parties, highlighting that you have a pool and multiple lounge chairs and a great backyard setting that girls can hang out in with an Instagram-worthy backdrop, that's what you want to highlight in the listing title. If you're really trying to appeal to people who appreciate design, calling out the design features of the home. 
So I'm going to read off to you a few of the listing titles that I actually use in the properties that I manage. Lakeside Condo Steps from the Water, Family Getaway with Pool Bunk Beds. Because of the bunk beds, this condo really does cater more towards families. Couples are not going to want to stay in a bunk bed. So instead of hiding that fact, we highlight it that the bunk beds are a reason that a family should choose this place. It tells them that we're close to the water. It tells them we have a heated pool and it tells them that their kids are going to love the bunk beds. So book this place if you're a family. Another condo title I have is newly upgraded condo, fully equipped kitchen, jacuzzi, two queen beds. For this one, I'm trying to cater more towards couples, so we highlight that there's two queen beds, we highlight that there's a jacuzzi, something that couples would enjoy doing together, and there's a fully equipped kitchen, so two couples could definitely book and spend their time cooking together over a glass of wine and enjoy each other's company that way. So depending on who you're trying to cater to, your listing title is going to change, and you can definitely highlight, again, you only have limited characters, so The rest of the listing and in the description, you can highlight all the amenities you have, but your title should really be a place to communicate those top, top phrases and those top amenities for your ideal guest, for who you are really trying to attract. So again, don't waste that valuable real estate space on something like a location. In my case, I call out that we're close to the lake because that's more specific, but I don't say that these are homes in Big Bear. They're already going to know that when they're just filtering their search for Big Bear. I do have cute branded names for my listings. You're not going to find them in my actual Airbnb listing title. I'm not wasting that those characters on those stuff. So this is the formula that I follow. I always like to call out the property itself, you know, whether it's a condo, if it's been newly upgraded, some attraction that it's close to, and then a couple features of the home. And honestly, it can look sloppy. You can put dashes in between, commas in between, slashes in between. Really what you're just trying to do is get more of those keywords up there so that you're bumped higher in the search ranking for people who would be a good fit for your place. Don't put emojis in your listing title. It's actually against Airbnb's terms of service to do that. I've never actually heard of anyone getting booted because they had emojis in their title. So don't panic if you have them, but if you do have them, take them out because technically they're not supposed to be there. Again, I don't know really how they enforce this, but I wouldn't want to test the Airbnb gods out there. So if you've got emojis, take them out. Um, It also makes it hard for Airbnb to accurately read your listing title because emojis have a lot of code behind them and it's going to kind of make your listing title in search rankings show up sort of cluttered, it's not going to be as easy to read and promote you in front of the right audiences. One final tip I have for you with your listing title is do not be afraid to change it up depending on the season or on special events in your area. If you have the Super Bowl coming to your town and you are right next to the stadium, around the time that people are looking to book places for the Super Bowl, change your title to say four minute walk from Super Bowl stadium. Right now, because we're in summer, I am calling out in all of my titles how close we are to the lake. In winter, when people aren't going to the lake anymore, I will switch up those titles and mention that we have a jacuzzi and an indoor fireplace. I might say that we are a 10-minute drive from the ski slopes. So don't be afraid to change up your title as much as you need to anytime you have big events in town, anytime your seasonality changes, and always make sure that your title is just communicating the most important things for bookings at that time.
For this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, I am going to read you a post that I found. A host posted this in one of the hosting Facebook groups. Let's call this host, oh, I don't know, Michael. All right, here's what Michael wrote. A group of guests broke our dryer because they did laundry the whole day, at least four loads. They stayed at our place after an 11-day camping trip. The repair guy said that the dryer vent overheated from lots of lint trapped and blown the sensor. We are new hosts and have no experience encountering this. The repair costs a bit over $100 and we want to charge back to our guests. We aren't sure how to approach them because there's not an easy way to tell them. Could you guys give us some ideas? Have you encountered this before? Should this be charged to guests and how to bring it up? Thanks. Okay, Michael, (laughs) I am completely confused by this because four loads of laundry, if that's enough to break your dryer, first of all, your dryer had other issues, but what I don't understand is my cleaners pretty much do four loads of laundry for every cleaning. By the time you wash, you do one load for all your sheets and pillowcases. Then you've got a load for all your towels. If they use the pool or jacuzzi, you've got another load for pool towels. And if you're washing like throw blankets and a comforter and duvet covers, that's already a fourth load right there. So I'm a little bit confused slash concerned as to how you're not already doing four loads of laundry. And again, that's not every single time. At minimum, we always have to do two loads of laundry for every cleaning, one for towels and one for sheets. But there have definitely been times if people use like the pullout sofa to sleep two more people and we have additional bedding, there have definitely been times that my cleaners are doing four loads of laundry. So I'm just a little bit confused as to how this has never happened. Also, I am concerned as to how you know that they did four loads of laundry. I ended up going into the comments and somebody else said, how do you even know that they did four loads of laundry? Like, do you have a camera on your washer dryer unit? And he said that they actually live above. So they heard the dryer start and finish four different times, which is slightly creepy. Okay. (laughs) But anyway, to, to answer this guy's question, if you should have the guests pay you back for this, absolutely not. I'm sorry. No. There are clearly other issues with your washer and dryer. If four loads was enough to break it, there were other issues in place. This is probably a really outdated appliance. And if it was clear that they were misusing it in some way, like overfilling the load or putting too much in there or putting in something that shouldn't be washed or something using too much detergent, if there was some sort of user error involved, that's very different. But if you advertise the washer washer and dryer as an amenity and your guests booked for that amenity coming from an 11-day camping trip and they wanted that amenity and they were going to be using it, and they just use it the standard way, four loads should be nothing. You guys, I do like four loads of laundry when I'm doing my laundry day. I I don't understand how this guy is like so confused by the concept of doing four loads. There were definitely other issues in place with this washer and dryer unit, so do not charge the guests. This is absolutely on you. This is the cost of doing business. My philosophy in general The only time I will charge guests for damages is if it's something that I feel like was user error, like the guests were responsible for something. I've even given this example before. I don't know if I said it on a previous podcast episode or on Instagram, but 
One thing I often say is that I only like to charge the guests if the damage or any stains were directly user error, that it's something that was their fault. For example, I won't charge the guests an extra cleaning or to replace sheets if they just wet the bed, because to me, that's purely accidental. Nobody is purposely going to be peeing the bed. But if somebody did spill red wine in the bed, that I would charge for, because that's clearly them just being negligent and sloppy and bringing red wine into bed. It's kind of obvious that that would be their fault. So when it comes to things like this, I just try to use my discretion on whether the guest actually played a part in the things happening intentionally or if it was some sort of accident. To me, I have to know beyond a reasonable doubt that they had some intentionality in breaking it, that they were purposefully negligent or broke it on purpose. Other than that, if I have any reason to assume that it was accidental, I do not charge the guests for it. So Michael... I don't know in the end if you charge them or not. If you do, you are the Airbnb hole without a doubt. Please don't charge your guests for this. You might need to get a new washer and dryer if this is going to be a repeated occurrence that four loads puts that thing over the edge. But hopefully this $100 repair is all that's needed and learn from this. If you don't want people using it, don't advertise it as an amenity anymore. Other than that, you got to just let guests use it. You advertised it and this is just standard. They weren't doing anything out of the norm. They were doing four loads of laundry. That's pretty normal. I don't know. You guys, am I like the only one who does four loads of laundry? That's like nothing, right? Like, yeah, four loads of laundry should not put your washer and dryer over the edge. You've got other issues, buddy. So Michael, I hope you didn't charge them. If you did, you are definitely the Airbnb hole. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!